Let me take y'all back to late September of 2020, almost exactly six months ago. Uh, a friend of mine, he had uh, woken up uh, to go to church with him and his bride. Keep in mind at this point, she is in her third trimester, about to have this baby at any point. Uh, and he goes out to the vehicle that they had actually recently purchased, uh, you know, sparkling white Chevy Tahoe. And uh, he, as he always would, left it unlocked because he kind of lives out in the country. And he, and he gets into the vehicle and almost immediately he notices that there's just like, there's something wrong. This car had just been detailed again. They just brought it home from the dealership and there's dirt all over the place. That uh, There's like this sticky substance all over the place. But more than anything else, it just, it smelled. <laughs> it smelled so bad. And, and he told me later on that he's like, I, I actually thought that maybe I left a window down or a door open. And I literally thought that there were a family of raccoons that had like gotten into the car over the night and just kind of had like an all-nighter and went crazy. But, 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 on, but upon closer inspection, he starts doing some of these numbers, you know, where you're like, like trying to get a smell. He's like, this is vomit. There is vomit all over this car. And now he's just trying to put this together of like, what happened in this vehicle last night? And again, he comes to the conclusion, he's like, somebody literally must have broken into my wife's car and threw up all over last night. And so he starts running like process of elimination again. He lives back in the woods, out in the country, and he's like, okay, my, my grandparents live at the end of the road. I doubt grandpa and grandma broke into my car and barfed all over. The guy next door, he's in his 80s. Again, this would not seem normal behavior. And again, just process of elimination, starts going through everybody who lives in the area, and he goes, the only person that might or could have possibly done this, at least if they live around here, would be the guy across the street who, again, every once in a while does tend to drink a little bit too much. And so he immediately marches right across the street, which, mind you, is a little bit of a jaunt through the woods. And as he gets closer to his neighbor's house, he sees a neighbor and one of his friends walking around in the front yard, and you can tell that they're, like, looking for something. And, and, and as they get close and they realize that, that he's walking up to them, they're like, hey, uh, have you found our phone? And he's like, found your phone? No, I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they're like, oh, by the way, and right to it, before he can even ask about his vehicle, the guy's like, hey, I heard that maybe last night I wandered over into your driveway and I got in your car and one of my buddies said maybe I barfed all over. So my bad, man. I'm really sorry that that happened. But, but, but have you seen my phone? And he's like, can we move past the phone thing for a second? You are willingly admitting to me that you broke into my wife's car and barfed all over the place? He's like, yeah, 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 no problem, but I'll pay for a detailer to come out and clean it all up, no big, no big deal. And that's basically how the story ends. He paid for a mobile detailer to come out and clean up the car, and it was like it never happened. Now, now stick with me here for a second. I promise there's a reason I'm telling you this pretty bizarre story. For most of us who are watching right now, Back in February of 2020, life was probably going pretty smooth. You, you were at least probably in some sort of a routine. Your kids were going to school. You were going to work. Maybe you were attending classes five days a week. You're, you're living for that weekend when you can just go out with your friends and your loved ones and have a good time out on the town. For, for some of you, you would look forward to your weekly dose of Jesus here at a church on Sunday mornings. Life was, well, all things considered, fairly predictable. And because we live in America, most of your needs were being met, life was pretty comfortable. But then, all of a sudden, someone, or in this case, something, breaks into your life and just vomits all over the place, screws everything up. A global pandemic disrupts your life and throws everything into a tailspin. So suddenly, you're working from home five days a week. 
Your kids are driving you nuts. You're supposed to be living out your glory days on a college campus, but instead you're stuck in your parents' basement. Uh, Underlying tensions in your relationships have come screaming to the surface. Your your mood most days could best be described as anxious. You're you're more isolated than ever. And, And we're left now literally over a year later peering into our lives that are covered in vomit, going, how in the heck am I supposed to clean this up? I mean, where, where do I even start? Is life ever going to go back to normal, or, or at least what I thought was normal? Even those of you who are watching right now that maybe weren't absolutely crazy about your life in early 2020, chances are you would gladly exchange it for whatever this hot mess is that you're working with right now. And and I'm 100% positive that I'm not just speaking to three or four people here today. But but there are a bunch of you who are watching, and and, and the primary reason that you decided to tune in today is because you're sort of desperate for answers. Your life, it it feels out of control. Our, Our world feels out of control. And and you're curious if, if maybe, just maybe, there actually are some answers to be found in a place like this, even if you've been extremely skeptical of the church in the past. It's perhaps even the faith, the confidence, that the calming presence of someone you know who shows up to a place like this on a regular basis that has caused you to ask, what in the heck do they have that I don't? And I'm not even sure what it is, but I'm pretty sure I could use a little bit of that in my life. So, so, so what I'd like to do for the couple of minutes that we have together here today uh, is share another story with all of you. That for some of you, it actually seems just as ridiculous and just as unbelievable as the story of a drunk man breaking into a neighbor's car and barfing all over the place. This is a story uh, that all of you, you're all at least kind of familiar with it. And it's probably the story that you would come to expect to be told on Easter weekend at a church. It's the story of how God looked down into the world that he created, the world that was now clearly broken and filled with sin, rebellion on the part of his most prized creation, you and I. And in this moment, God has a decision to make. Does he hang an out-of-order sign on the world and walk away? allowing all of us to slowly destroy ourselves through our own rebellion, our own sin, our own selfishness? Or does he wade into the mess? And fortunately for every single one of us who are watching here today, God chose door number two. He rolled up his sleeves and he waded into the mess. And he got involved in a way that none of us could have possibly predicted. It's a story that no human mind could have possibly dreamt up. The, the, the almighty God, the same God who created the heavens and the earth, that the same God who was and is and is yet to come, that this, the same God who speaks entire galaxies into existence, the same God who knit you together in your mother's womb, that God who possesses that type of power and that type of might took on the limitations of a mere mortal, and became flesh. He dwelt among us. And after a very brief amount of time spent on this earth, he did something so shocking 
so breathtaking, so scandalous. Because of his intense love for you, he willingly died a sinner's death, a death meant for you, a death meant for me. He gave his life so that we might have the opportunity to have eternal life. In the most humbling and loving act that this world has ever seen or will ever see, God gave himself. He gave his one and his only son for you so that we might have the opportunity to get that right standing back with him. So that relationship that we fractured might be healed. Now Paul, who's Uh, arguably the most profound and influential spreader of the message of Jesus in the history of the world. Back in the first century, he sums all of this up beautifully in his early letter to the Christian church in Rome. There in Romans chapter 5, he writes this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners, you and I. Now, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, that though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed, he demonstrated, he proved his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not once we got our acts together, but while we were still sinning. And, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, nothing that we did, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Uh, upon sinning, uh, and kind of a spoiler alert here, every single one of us who are watching today have sinned and therefore we are sinners, we became opponents of God, or as Paul writes here, enemies of God. But, but through Jesus' actions on the cross, we have the opportunity to have that relationship mended, completely healed, and in turn become yet again, as Paul writes here, friends of God. Now, now my guess is, is regardless of how much or how little time you've spent in a church, you've probably heard some version of that story. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that he whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And while some of you watching right now, you wholeheartedly believe that and you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, others of you watching, you're a little bit more dubious. That this whole story, it sounds less like reality and more like fairy tales, something born out of a children's book. And by the way, if that does describe you here today, we are so glad you decided to tune in. And in fact, one of the things that you will hear us say an awful lot around here is you can belong here before you believe. You can belong here long before you believe. You can belong here long before you embrace everything that we speak about and everything that is spoken about within the pages of the Bible. So maybe it is desperation that drove you here today. And again, I would just tell you, you're not alone. This whole global pandemic thing has kind of brought that out in a lot of us. Maybe someone bribed you to be here today. You've never really thought about it in those terms, but literally they're like, hey, if you watch this thing with me, I'll buy you lunch. Maybe this is sort of like an insurance thing. Like if this whole God thing is actually real, I better show up at least at Christmas and Easter, and maybe that'll kind of cover my hiney in the afterlife. Maybe it's just like a tradition for you and your family. 
But, but regardless, you're, you're not there. You, you don't believe in all of this. You, you maybe even actually think those of us who do buy into all of this are like this group of emotionally unstable conspiracy theorists who just kind of want a place to hang out on Sunday mornings. And, and so I'll admit that at Easter and Christmas in particular, I always have this tension knowing that there are so many people just kind of popping in and out because it's Easter of how much do I try and convince you that what I just spoke about is true. And inevitably, I always arrive at the same conclusion, that even if I had time for like a two-hour message, and a lot of you are probably thankful I don't, one talk probably isn't going to change your mind. And so given that I have literally like a whopping 20 minutes to work with today, it seems probably less than likely. And so instead, what I'd like to do really quick, and I promise this will be brief, I'd like to present to those of you who don't believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, why it is that I, Shay Prisk, have chosen to put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. I'm not saying that you have to put your faith in Jesus, that you have to believe, and in fact, that would be incredibly arrogant for me to say so. That this is just why I have chosen to put my faith in Jesus. Fair enough? And the only favor that I have to ask of you is simply listen. Hear me out. And frankly, I would add, what do you have to lose? You're already sitting there watching this. We only got about 10 more minutes, so just gut it out here for another 10 minutes. At least just listen to what I have to say. Here is why I believe this seemingly unbelievable story that we talk about on Easter. See, see, when Jesus died on that cross, nobody believed. Now, 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 real quick, nobody debates this anymore. Everyone agrees, including the most staunch atheists, that Jesus was indeed a real historical figure that at some point was crucified. That, that there is virtually no debate, none on that particular point. That there are just too many historical documents at this point to this end. As one historian writes, it is an embarrassment of riches. And it's also widely held at this point that once Jesus was killed, the movement that we would now refer to as Christianity, it was dead in the water. That, that even Jesus' closest friends, they abandoned ship. That they, they were hoping, they were even praying that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that Jesus was actually the son of God. But once he died on that cross, everyone lost faith. It was over. But right here is where the story gets both unbelievable and unexplainable. It just demands a closer look. Just days later, this same group of people who had completely abandoned ship, who had completely scattered, disillusioned, disappointed, they're now back. And they were unified. I mean, they have this, this crazy confidence that goes before them. That They are boldly walking into the streets telling everyone who would listen about Jesus. In fact, most of them would eventually be put to death because they just would not shut up about Jesus. So it begs the question, what takes a person from completely defeated, from absolutely disillusioned to confidence, to, to, to boldness, even in the face of death. And I'm telling you, as ludicrous as it might sound, that the most reasonable explanation for this 180 is Jesus rose from the dead. And, and if Jesus rose from the dead, 
That means that a guy just predicted his own death and predicted his own resurrection and then actually pulled it off. And if he did that, suddenly everything else surrounding Christianity becomes a lot more plausible. That, that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the God that we talk about here on Sunday morning is, is the one true God. But, but I personally find this to be the single most compelling piece of evidence, and it happens to be the reason that I believe. Well, only further compounded, I mean, just think about this, by the fact that here we are 2,000 years later, halfway around the globe, and we're still talking about them. Now, with the little bit of time that we have left together, I'd like to tell you another part of this story that maybe you're not as familiar with. It's a part of the story that, that no matter where you find yourself today on this whole faith journey, I can guarantee you that by the end of this, there will be something inside of you that wants this to be true. That there will be something deep inside of you that whispers, I hope that's not just a fairy tale. I want that story to be true. So, so let's rewind here just a little bit to shortly before Jesus is put to death. Allow me to set the stage a little bit here. The, the religious leaders, they've officially had enough of Jesus. He's going around telling everyone, I'm the son of God, and he's smarted off to these religious leaders one too many times. And keep in mind that at this point in the society, the religious leaders held an enormous amount of power. And, and so now Jesus has been arrested where he knows he is headed to his imminent death. Now, now right before Jesus gets arrested, he has one last meal with his disciples, these 12 guys who are his closest friends who spent virtually every waking moment with him during his three-year ministry. And at this meal, he looked right into the eyes of one of his closest friends, a guy who went by the name of Peter, and he predicted that in the midst of all the chaos that was about to follow, Peter would deny that he even knows Jesus, not once, not twice, but three different times. And Peter's looking back and I'm going, not a chance, Jesus. You're my best friend. Even more, I actually believe that you are God in the flesh. Jesus, I believe in you. I would never, ever, ever deny you. And Jesus looks right back at him and basically says, we'll see about that. In fact, here's a really kind of bizarre prediction, Peter. Before a rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. I mean, how about that for specific and again, Peter's like, a rooster? What are you talking about? Jesus, this is offensive that you would even suggest that I might deny you. So, so now Jesus, he's, he's been arrested. And wouldn't you know it, it all goes down exactly, exactly as Jesus predicts. It says, meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, right outside of the house where Jesus was being questioned. Right outside the house where Jesus has been detained and a servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around him, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. I doubt any of us, to, to the extent that we see or hear with Peter, 
have experienced this type of remorse that Peter was experiencing in this moment. But every one of us were at least familiar with this feeling. We, we all have at least touched on this at, at some point during our lives. Back when I was in the uh, fifth grade, I was actually just about to enter into middle school as a sixth grader. It was the coming to the end of that you know, fifth grade summer, about to go to a whole new school and all that. And uh, I was just a couple houses down from where I grew up playing with some neighbor friends. And uh, the phone rang at our neighbor's house because we don't have cell phones back then. This is just kind of how this worked. Uh, the mother answered where I was uh, playing with my friend and uh, my mom asked if she could speak with me. So I got on the phone and my mom said, hey, why don't you run home real quick? Your Aunt Cheryl, uh, my dad's only sister, his only sibling, uh, she swung by the house real quick. She wants to say bye to you guys before she heads down to Florida. And uh, I said, Mom, it's good. Like, I, I want to play with my friends. I don't need to see her. She's like, hey, every single year, you know this, she goes to spring training for the Tigers. She's going to be gone for about a month. You should run home really quick and say bye to Aunt Cheryl. I said, Mom, I'm just playing with my friends. I don't need to say bye to her. I'll see her again in a month. She said, okay, you're going to regret this. And I hung up the phone, and I played with my friends. And my aunt went down to Florida, and she never came back. She died suddenly in her early 40s. Such remorse. And as I prepared for this message, it struck me that I don't actually have a memory of the last time I saw my aunt. I can't for the life of me remember the last time I spent time with her. I can only remember the last time that I chose not to see her. And as painful of a personal memory as this is, it cannot even compare to the remorse that Peter must have felt not just in that moment when the rooster crowed, but just hours later as he watched from a hillside in horror as his best friend was nailed to a cross and died one of the slowest, most painful deaths imaginable. For the rest of his life, he would carry with him the guilt, the remorse, the weight of denying his closest friend when he needed him the most. And he'd never be able to make it right because his best friend, Jesus, was now dead. The day that Peter and Jesus first met, uh, Jesus was teaching on the beach. And uh, as would usually happen, this, this massive crowd had formed on the beach and Jesus is literally getting forced into the water. And Peter, uh, by profession, was a fisherman. And him and a bunch of his friends and, you know, had been fishing all night, which was traditional at this place in the world, even to this day. They typically fish at night and they'd come in and they were tending to their nets. And Jesus just asked him a pretty small favor. He said, hey, would you be willing me to allow me to use your boat kind of as like a makeshift stage? And so Peter said, okay. And so they, they put the boat a little bit out into the water. Jesus stood on the front of the boat and taught the crowds. And once Jesus had finished teaching, he asked one more favor of Peter. He said, Peter, why don't you throw your, your nets to the other side of the boat and let them down one more time and see if you get a catch? And 
Peter probably kind of rolls his eyes, but puts a grin on and says, Jesus, you don't really understand fishing. We, we were fishing all night, and we did not catch a single fish. Um, and again, you don't fish during the day, so if we didn't catch one at night, I can assure you we will not be catching fish right now. Jesus kind of smirks and says, come on, just one more time. So Peter reluctantly throws the net into the water, and he catches such a large amount of fish that the nets began to rip. And then Jesus poses him an invitation. He says, why don't you come follow me? And it says that at once Peter fell to his knees at the feet of his Savior, a guy he did not know was his Savior yet. And he immediately followed Jesus. So now again, it's just days after the death of Jesus. And imagine with me the emotional baggage that Peter must be carrying in this moment. The depression. He, he had to have been at his lowest of lows, a, a low that, that any of us are unlikely to ever experience. And he's returned to his old profession prior to meeting Jesus. He's fishing with a handful of other men, a handful of the other disciples who are actually with Jesus as well. They're completely disillusioned. The movement is assumed to be dead. Then all of a sudden, from the shore, after they've been fishing all night, a person yells, and it's so far away, about 100 yards out, that they can't make out who it is. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? They look at each other. Who is this guy? No. And what happens next is so beautiful that it defies all words. It, it takes us right back to that moment when Peter and Jesus first met. Then this man from the shore said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they figured, what the heck? And they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And in this moment, the light bulb finally clicks. And Peter starts having a serious case of deja vu. This has happened before. And what happens next, dare I say, is one of the most beautiful, tender moments in the history of mankind. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, John said to Peter, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work and he jumped into the water and headed to shore and swam as fast as he possibly could about a hundred yards to the feet of his Savior and then embraced him. And in an instant, all of that guilt, all of that remorse was lifted from his soul. Come on. Tell me you don't want that story to be true. Because if Jesus forgave Peter, that must mean that he's willing to extend that same kindness, that same mercy, that same grace, that same forgiveness to you. If there's a God out there, don't you hope that he loves you that unconditionally? Don't you hope that he extends that kind of mercy and forgiveness? Peter, in an instant, had been set free. And, and as hard as it might be for you to believe, you, you watching right now, have been set free. 
no matter what kind of weight you might be carrying with you right now, no matter what your past looks like, no matter how far you might have turned, no matter the mistakes, no matter what this past year has stirred up, you have been set free. If you ever doubt that, look no further than the cross. Look no further than the redemptive work of what Jesus did on the cross for you, that the God of the universe made the first move when he gave himself something that he did not have to do but wanted to do because he loves you that much. It's how badly he wants a relationship with you. And, and come on, hasn't your life shown you that all this other stuff falls short? That there is a Jesus-shaped void in every single one of us that only he can fill. God freely offers this to every single one of us, but it's your move. He's just waiting on you to go diving into the water and then running into his arms. You've already been set free. And I know it sounds crazy, but the God of the universe made the standard quite simple. That the way that you would be declared righteous, the way that you would be called approved, the way that you would get that right standing back, it has nothing to do with your past. It has nothing to do with what you're carrying on your shoulders right now. No, it just comes down to faith, belief, trust. Do you believe the story that I just told you today? That the God of the universe looked down into our broken world that he created, that we messed up, and he found a solution. And he gave us his one and his only son. And after being crucified on a cross, taking the weight of your sin and my sin on his shoulders, three days later, he did not stay dead. He defeated the grave. He rose to new life so that you might have the opportunity to experience new life and heal that relationship with him. And we are told that by simply believing in him, just like that, we get that right standing back. And so it literally could be as simple as you right now, bowing your head wherever you're at and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have screwed up. I know that I have wandered away from you, that I have rebelled against you. But God, I believe, I believe that you sent your son for me and that he conquered the grave. Come into my life, God. From this day forward, I choose to live for you. And make no mistake about it, it's not a prayer that gets you into heaven. It's not a prayer that secures your eternal standing again. It's faith, it's belief, it's trust. Do you truly believe in Jesus? Not even death could hold Jesus down. So shame, guilt, and regret, they definitely don't have power over our lives. We don't have to be weighed down by our past mistakes and sin. You have been set free.